You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. We've just passed the 18th anniversary of our move from Dublin in Ireland to France. I'm just coming up to the 25th anniversary of the day on which I started doing what I'm doing now, working for myself. These look, feel and sound like milestones in our lives, but these things only come to pass as a result of a progression of things that lead us to make the kind of decisions that move our lives forward. I had a conversation over lunch with a very good friend of mine who I have known for many, many years in Dublin. Last summer, 12 months, when we could all still fly around the world whenever we felt like it. And we were sitting talking about how well his business was doing. He had set up his new business at 58 years of age, about two years previously, and the business was flying. And like many people who say to themselves, oh, I'm doing really well now. What if I had started this sooner? Or what if I had got that opportunity? He was lamenting the fact that he hadn't set up his business sooner. He was lamenting the perceived fact that he had procrastinated. He told me he'd procrastinated for nearly 10 years because he originally wanted to set up his little business in the area of wealth management in 2007. As I said to him, you know, life is like comedy. It's all about timing. Had you set up that business in 2007, you would have been bankrupt in 2008. You would have been distraught by 2009 and God knows where you'd been now. It's all about timing because had he set up his wealth management business in 2007, We had the financial crash in 2008 and we all know what happened as a result of that disaster. A disaster from which some people are still recovering or some people may never recover at all. It's all about making the right decisions in the right way at the right time. In exactly the same way, I've been talking to a client of mine who has a particularly big goal that she wants to achieve. Now, you and I know from some of the previous episodes in this podcast series, that there is a scientifically validated way in which we can set our mind to achieve the objectives we'd love to achieve. It's not just scientifically validated in terms of how to go about it. It is scientifically validated in terms of going about it in a particular way and what that does to the brain and in particular the subcortical brain, the subconscious mind, the doing part of our brain, as distinct from the thinking part of the brain. And it's not just validated scientifically, it's been validated again and again and again. Certainly over the 25 years, or almost 25 years, that I've been working for myself, the more and more people that I hear talking about them having achieved the perfect moments to which they had set their mind. But this particular friend of mine, a couple of weeks ago, said to me, why has my perfect moment not happened yet? 
And I have said to her on more than one occasion, because she's asked me that question on more than one occasion over the last eight or nine months, it wouldn't be a perfect moment if it didn't happen at the perfect time. It isn't that it's not going to happen. It isn't that you're sitting around procrastinating, which is a word that I've used a minute ago. It isn't any of that. It'll happen when it's meant to happen. Now, by that phrase, I do not mean the way in which normal people use that phrase. Oh, that was meant to happen to you, as if you were being slapped down. I mean something completely different. I mean that what you really, really want to achieve in your life, as long as you can believe it, as long as you can subconsciously expect it to happen, it will happen in the best possible way at the most appropriate time. And the truth of the matter is that it will happen as a result of a string of little events that bring you to arrive at the point where that perfect moment is experienced because it has happened. Steve Jobs mentions in an interview with Walter Isaacson in Walter Isaacson's very large book on Steve Jobs, not long before he died, Steve Jobs talked about looking back over his life and joining what often seemed at the time unintelligible dots. In other words, little dots, little things that he had done in his life or things that had happened to him in his life that at the time didn't seem to form any pattern, didn't seem to make an awful lot of sense. But then with the benefit of hindsight, he realized that all these apparently unconnected things were all leading him inexorably towards the point in his life at which, for example, he had founded Apple and all the success that went with that. The point I often make to my clients, and indeed any of the online groups that I work with, is that we are where we are in our lives as a result of all the little things we did or failed to do in all the nows up to this particular now. And in many of those nows up to now, there have been events, what normal people call coincidences, what really normal people call dumb chance. There have been events in our lives that had we not turned in a particular direction, we wouldn't be where we were now, even though at the time the event seemed particularly unimportant or innocuous. These are the little coincidences that make up the journey of life that lead me, for example, or led me to move to France in December 2002 to set up my own business on the 1st of February 1996. If I come back to my friend who set up his wealth management business at the age of 58, a number of his friends said to him, my God, you're crazy. At 58 years of age, when everyone else is thinking of retiring, you're actually setting up a new business and the risks involved with that. That was a huge decision. And as he said to me, and you see, he wouldn't say it to a lot of his friends because a lot of his friends wouldn't understand, but he said it to me. It wasn't a huge decision at all. He said, I knew somewhere deep down in my heart and soul that I would end up setting up my own business and that it would be a huge success. I expected it to happen. Now, the fact that he'd actually written it down in the way in which science validates that we can set our minds meant that 
all the little things that happened to him would inexorably lead to him making what ordinary people thought was a brave and courageous decision. But bravery and courage are only words that are used by normal people to describe what people who are using their minds in an abnormal fashion kind of know as the inevitable. As I said, we've just gone past the 18th anniversary of us moving lock, stock and barrel to France. Our youngest child was eight years of age at the time. Our oldest child was 13. And an awful lot of people said, my God, you uprooted that whole family and moved it to France. What a huge decision. What, what bravery and courage. But we moved to France on what might be considered by many people a whim if they knew the full story. You know, an awful lot of people have said to me over the years, why did you move to France? And the answer I have often given people is, oh, because the dog died. And there is an element of truth in that. And actually, I only subsequently discovered many years later that when a number of our middle girls' friends would ask, why, why did your mother and father move you to France? she would give the same answer, because the dog died. We'd bought a little apartment in France in 1998. That was on a whim. And I'm going to explain what I mean by the word whim in a moment. We had bought this tiny little apartment and we'd been over for skiing. Even though we hadn't skied, never skied before, we had been over for summer holidays. And it eventually got to the point where the five of us, myself, my wife and our three children, were looking at each other saying, actually it would probably be nicer to live here and grow up here than it would be to do that in a big city like Dublin. And gradually over the course of probably about 18 months, it became apparent to us that really the lot of us would have preferred to be living in France rather than in Dublin. Now, a number of very strange and, at the time, relatively insignificant coincidences fell into place that even led us to buying the apartment in the first place. As I've said to you, things happen us in life that set us off in a completely new direction. And I was working in banking in 1990. Uh, I got a job as the general manager of corporate strategy in a little Irish bank called the Agricultural Credit Corporation at the time. It could only lend to farmers and the result, as a result of it only being allowed to lend to farmers, it went bankrupt in 1988. Any bank that has all its eggs, any business that has all its eggs in one basket is bound to fail. So I was brought in from the outside to turn the bank around. It had just been allowed lend to anybody and everybody. It wasn't restricted to the agricultural sector anymore. And my job was to make the bank profitable so that the owner, which happened to be the Irish government, could sell it. I arrived in from the outside. I would bring the leadership team off to nice hotels where we'd spend two or three days strategizing and we'd come up with all kinds of new action plans that would enable us achieve those objectives that I've just mentioned. And after two or three days, after two or three exciting days, we'd all go back to the office and they'd all go back to doing the same old things that had got them into difficulties in the first place. And I thought they were crazy. 
I couldn't figure out why they'd keep doing the old stuff that had got them into trouble and expect that something different had happened. So I went looking for a little help, or a lot of help, because I thought these apparent uh, responsible adults were, were bonkers. And eventually I stumbled, by coincidence, across a semi-retired psychologist who was at the time based in the Swiss Alps. And I spent some time with this guy, a guy called Jerry Kuschel. And when I came back from him, my wife said to me that a different man walked in the door than the man who had left a couple of weeks previously. It was one of those turning points that we all have in our lives. It was, per, it was a particularly dramatic one for me because you know, I was brought up in Holy Catholic Ireland in the 1960s. I was told you need to uh, study hard, work hard to be a success, get a job, get yourself a good steady job for life, a pension, retire and die. I'm being ever so slightly facetious, but that was the general underlying undercurrent of everything we were taught in Ireland in the 1960s. And it, it, it never occurred to me or it never occurred to any of the people with whom I grew up that you could suddenly learn something completely new in your life that would actually change your life. And this so substantially changed my life in 1992 in the week of the 15th of March, 1992. This so substantially changed my life that I ended up leaving the bank in 1996, the 1st of February, 1996, as I mentioned earlier, and starting to do what I'm doing now for myself. And people said to me at the time, my God, that's a brave and courageous decision. But it wasn't. It was inevitable because I knew I expected it to happen. I knew somewhere deep down that regardless of the fact that I was walking away from a big, well-paid job into the unknown, it was something I just had to do. There was no decision involved at all. There was an inevitability about it. A couple of years later, on one of our annual motoring holidays on the continent, I brought my wife and my three children up into the Alps because I had been so inspired when I visited the Swiss Alps, I wanted them to see the Alpine landscape. And we drove up from Beaujolais, the wonderful Beaujolais country, the heat and the humidity of Beaujolais country, late one June evening, and arrived in the Alps just after dark. Arrived in our hotel, had something to eat, went to bed. And the following morning, my wife threw open the wooden shutters on the hotel bedroom window in which we were staying and looked straight out at, as she said, something straight out of Heidi. She said, my God, I didn't know places like this existed. She was blown away by it, as anybody would be blown away by their first view of Mont Blanc. Didn't actually know we were, it was Mont Blanc we were looking at at the time, but that's neither here nor there. We were only in the Alps for a couple of days. As I say, the reason we were there was because being in the Alps, meeting Jerry Kushel changed my life. And we were only in the Alps for a couple of days. I think opening those shutters changed my wife's life. We were sheltering from a thunderstorm in Chamonix on the day before we were due to leave the Alps. We were sheltering under the awning of a shop that had apartments for sale. And my wife turned to me and she said, go inside and ask to make an appointment. And I said to her, but we're leaving tomorrow. And she said, well, then make an appointment for this afternoon. So we drove in a thunderstorm, the same thunderstorm, up into the mountains and saw this little apartment 
and looked at each other when we got back into the car and Lisa said to me, she said, I want you to ring the estate agent and tell her we are going to buy that apartment. I said, well, we don't have the money. I was only working for myself for two years at the time. I said, we don't have the money. And she said to me, you are actually working with your clients, telling them that if you expect something to happen, even things like the money will look after itself. Ring them, ring the girl, ring her and tell her we'll buy the apartment. And there and then we embarked on an adventure and the money did literally fall into our lap a couple of months later. We embarked on an adventure that got us to the point where in the summer of 2002, having spent a number of summers and winter holidays there, we came back from our summer holiday wondering why we were coming back to Ireland. We were only two days back from that summer holiday when our little dog, two-year-old Cocker Spaniel, died. And the five of us looked at each other and said, well, that could be any of us. That could be any day. Life is short. We need to do what we need to do, and we need to do it now. And within 24 hours of our dog, Bugs, dying, our house in Dublin was on the market. And we left Ireland to move to France at the beginning of December 2002. And that's why almost flippantly, I would often say to people, we moved to France because the dog died. The answer, that answer I would give to people, would be in response to them saying to me, my God, that was a brave and courageous decision that you took. That was a huge decision to make. But it wasn't. No decision ultimately was really made at all. It became gradually inevitable. It became gradually inevitable as a result of a ridiculous string of apparently minor coincidences that brought us, first of all, to seeing that apartment, to buying that apartment, to the money to buy the apartment falling into our lap, something I'll come back to in another episode, to us moving to France, and to us on the fourth day that we were in France, chatting to somebody in a bar who knew of a parcel of land which we bought five days later on which we built our first alpine chalet. A whole load of ridiculous or apparently ridiculous little things that led us in the direction in which we dearly, almost subconsciously, without understanding it, wanted our life to go. Now, I've said something very important there. Inherently, you know the direction in which you want your life to go. Inherently, your thinking mind says it can't go there because, like me, for example, I was brought up in Holy Catholic Ireland, you don't deserve it. Or if you do deserve it and get it, you'll feel guilty and you'll ruin the experience. Or it's unrealistic. We've talked about that before. We've talked about how being realistic is something that is used as an excuse by normal people not to take the plunge, not to do the things that they know they need to do to get to where they really want to go in their lives. The little coincidences that happen in our lives are like the breadcrumbs that lead us forward on the path which we need to take, regardless of how unrealistic or sometimes futile or puerile the direction might be, or how sometimes insignificant the little breadcrumbs or coincidences seem to be. As I said earlier on in this podcast today, 
We are where we are in our lives as a result of everything we've done or failed to do in every now up to now. And very often we fail to notice coincidences or we fail to understand what the coincidences actually mean. And we fail because our thinking minds normally on automatic pilot, and we've talked about that before, override what we kind of know and feel is the right thing to do. The most successful business people always talk about how their most successful business decisions were made on gut instinct and how their worst decisions were made by analysing the possibilities to death. As I said a minute ago, you and I have built into us this instinct to better ourselves. God help us! Even the seed of a weed falling on a concrete path and falling into a crack will spring up a little plant into the air because it's in nature to better itself. It's in our nature to constantly better ourselves. But our thinking minds hold us back. Our thinking minds blind us to the significance of apparently insignificant coincidences that will inevitably lead us towards the life that we would really, 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 really love to have. Now, I've said really that number of times because it is way beyond our normal way of thinking about the kind of life we'd like to have or the kind of life we think we'd want. What is the significance of this? The significance of this is that moment to moment we are creating and recreating our lives. If we look at the way the universe works from the perspective of quantum physics, every 20,000 seconds the superstrings of energy in my body and your body are vibrating in and out of actual existence. The superstrings of energy of everything in this universe are vibrating in and out of existence 20,000 times every second. We're constantly remaking ourselves. We are, when we meditate, and we've talked about that before, constantly remaking our brain, reshaping its ability to bring us to where we want to go rewiring its functionality to enable us do what we need to do to get to where we want to go effortlessly. Reshaping the functionality of our brain so we spot the coincidences and we understand what is a coincidence that is significant and one that just happens to be an ordinary everyday happenstance. We all know deep down that not only do we have this ability to notice and move with these coincidences, we actually, in some bizarre way, and it's only bizarre to the normal mind, by the way, we have this ability to work with these coincidences. Because as we remake ourselves moment to moment, in conjunction with universal energy, we're actually working with universal energy. Let me ask you a question, because this is a coincidence that many people have experienced. Has somebody who you haven't seen or heard from for years popped into your head one day, and within a day or two, or sometimes an hour or two, you bump into them, or they ring you out of the blue? What's going on there? 
Now, we don't have time in today's episode, and we may not have time in a whole bunch of episodes, to begin to delve into the depths of how universal energy actually works. But here is an everyday example of what appears to be a random or often bizarre coincidence that actually opens a window into you beginning to understand that coincidences are not random events. They are significant in our lives. And the coincidences that will lead us forward need to be recognised and moved with to enable us move forward. We're talking about a world completely different from the way in which the thinking mind thinks the world works. We've talked about cognitive appraisal before and how we think we know what's going on and because we used stored knowledge programmed thought, we haven't a clue what's going on. You need to park your thinking mind. That's why I'm always banging on about meditation, because meditation will enable you park your thinking mind, come closer and closer to an experience of the here and now, become clearer and clearer in your mind as to what is actually going on, become more aware of the coincidences of everyday life, and become more aware of the significance of the coincidences you're stumbling across. Ultimately, coincidences are opportunities. They come in all shapes and sizes, and very often they come in completely unexpected ways. Because they come in unexpected ways, the thinking mind won't recognize them because the thinking mind works according to its own normal, repetitive, pre-programmed expectations. So how can you see what's unexpected unless you turn up to the here and now? And that is the significance of training your mind to be present in the here and now. And that is the insight with which I will leave you today. And we'll pick up the conversation again next week. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit www.willie-horton.com.